0: Okay. Sermon will be brought to us today by our elder Barnabas Grayson entitled, Christ and the Will of God. We are sure crowded today. (laughs) But it's good to see everyone that is here. green light? Okay. Green light means go. Red means stop. And the orange light means hurry up. I'm uh, doing Steve's sermon today. and He had something that he needed to do to visit Mike and his wife and I believe they're still in Little Rock, I haven't heard yet, so, okay, it's good, and I called Lawrence to see where he was, and they got a, what do you call those little messages, leave your message at the tone, and so I left it, and uh, so I feel like I'm, you know, the sermon before the sermon, it's okay, (laughs) I'll do the best I can. Well, I want to start in the book of John, uh, because uh, for some reason I thought that would be pretty, uh, it would sum up uh, where we've been, and it'll sum up where we're going uh, after the Feast, and I uh, just want to introduce this, this book to you, because you know, sometime, I think it was the late 1st century or 2nd century A.D., that the Apostle John wrote about his first-hand experiences with Jesus Christ, or with Jesus of Nazareth. And that record is in our hands today, and there's a lot of information that uh, John gives in painting this picture that we have of Jesus Christ. You know that the Word of God has come down to us through a lot of trial, through a lot of persecution, and just to make it available to us, to make it convenient to us. So, uh, we have this, this Word, this record that John wrote that is very crucial to, the, uh, to our life. And there are many scholars who consider that the book of John is is, is the deepest and the most spiritual book of all the Gospels. Because every verse runs runs deep and with powerful words and also wondrous meaning. You know uh, during the uh, Passover we read a lot from the book of John because it describes and paints a portrait of Christ's love for us. And so in John 3.16, for example, a very familiar scripture to us, we know that this verse leads to uh, the meaning of love, of why God loved us and, and why he sent Christ. And it tells uh, it brings up faith and everlasting life. And so just from that one scripture, we can see how deep these uh, the roots of each one of these words can lead. So in the book of John, we find a vivid picture or portrayal of Christ, as I referred to in a sermon some time ago, along with the, uh, the phrase that a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, but no matter how lovely that painting or that masterpiece might be of, of Christ, it, it would fall for far short of what John gives us in the book of John in describing word for word the portrayal of Jesus Christ. You know, some people, when they view a landscape or a still life or just even a portrait, uh, we respond to it or they respond to it in different ways, depending on the subject matter, depending upon maybe the color or the style or, or the uh, artist that did it, the content that surrounds what you see. While we were in Branson, uh, Carolyn and I, we uh, liked to look at some uh, framed pictures. And we looked at uh, Thomas Kincaid there, and, you know, they're, they're really out of our price range. But they are lovely pictures. They call him the painter of light. And some people maybe don't like Thomas Kincaid in his presentation. And so, you know, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And so th- there are different ways to look at a painting, different ways even to look at Christ. It's how we see him. I will be who I will be, said Jesus Christ, in the way that people uh, need him. So when we look at the words in the book of John, there are different aspects that can hold our attention in his portrayal of Christ as, you know, commissioned by the Father through the inspiration, through his inspiration. So one may see John's word like a photo album. We all have photo albums at home in which we can open from time to time and see pictures of familiar faces. We know of their love, we know of their character, uh, we know of where they were at the time when the, when the picture was taken. And so as we turn the pages of John we see Jesus Christ being portrayed like in a photo album. Various ways to meet our spiritual needs. Because sometimes when we open a photo album we want to kind of remember. Remember the things that are precious to us. And so this is what uh, we can look at in this way of looking at the book of John. So I don't know how many of you did but you know we we used to have those box cameras. I think they still have those box cameras that you can take pictures about 24 snapshots and then you turn it into the uh, drugstore and they, you know, give you the pictures that you took. And nowadays we have the cell phones in which everything is done quick, you plug it up, I guess. I've never done it, so I don't know, and I've got a million photographs on my cell phone <laughs> I don't know what to do with. And uh, same way with a box camera. I, I've got the box cameras, I think I've got about six or seven of them that I have not even taken to the drugstore. And uh, so they're, they're still around. And I know there's some very precious pictures in there, uh, that we've taken. Before the feast, uh, uh, I s- uh, had some old video uh, VHS tapes. Y'all know what a VHS tape is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there are some familiar scenes uh, from, uh, I think it was probably the first or the second feast in Branson, where uh, we had some friends from uh, western Oklahoma and uh, I had used uh, use the camera and taking the picture. I've taken a lot of pictures of the ground too, by the way. <laughs> dizzying pictures of the ground I, <laughs> I might have been looking at a bug or something but uh, anyway uh, I'm just not very good sometimes I think I've got the camera going and it's really not going and so I miss out on a whole, whole lot of stuff yesterday we uh, uh, went down to Ufaula we had uh, we had a reunion uh, of homecoming and uh, our 45th and you know the years really passed by and so pi- people are taking pictures, taking pictures. And uh, and uh, so I did manage to take a couple of pictures that are probably going to be in my cell phone forever. <laughs> Woo! Sounds like uh, a lot of wind coming from up here. <laughs> anyway, but you know how precious a photo album can be. So... Uh, as we go through the months ahead until the, until the next Holy Day, there are pictures of Christ that we can you know, take along with us and look at from time to time and that will help us to remember that he is always with us in some, in some spiritual way and that in him we can have hope and strength by taking a look at the words of John that he has painted a portrait of, uh, of Jesus Christ for us. So uh, we'll see a few of those things. Now John describes, first of all, that he describes Christ to us as the I Am. There's a lot in those words, very deep, it runs deep, because as the I Am, that means he is ever-present in our life. And we are to think of him as the I Am, ever-present, everlasting in our life, the ever-living Savior. In John chapter 4, Uh, verse 23. Oh, okay. I didn't see it back there. But the hour comes, and it now is. The time comes, and it now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. The Father seeks such to worship Him. So we know that there are Perhaps people outside and maybe out, you know, uh, in the world, on the sidewalks, on the streets, that, that God is going through and that he is searching for those who will uh, seek to worship him in that spirit and truth. And that's how we came along. And then we see that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Even in that verse that runs deep, you say, well... God is a spirit. What do you mean by that? What do you mean that God is a spirit? And when you, uh, what about truth? What is, what is that? And so in verse 25. The woman said unto him. And you know he's talking to the, the Samaritan woman. At, at, the, at the well. He said I know that Messiah is comes. I know that he's coming. Which is called Christ. When he is come he will tell us all things. So Jesus said unto her. I that speak unto you am He. So, He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Savior. So, He says, I am He. So, you can see how deep these these, uh, verses run. When you look at a a, a frame, masterpiece or a picture, uh, you look close up. And that way you can see the strokes, you can see the colors, you can see what colors lie underneath uh, other colors that make up the whole picture. But it takes a close uh, close look so that uh, you can uh, just see the hand that's uh, going on into the artistic uh, portrayal of, of that person. Uh, once we went to uh, it was either Gilcrease or uh, what's the other one? Uh, Philbrook, yeah. It was one of those places and uh, uh, I believe it was Gilcrease they had a special exhibit I don't remember now but they had one of uh, you've heard of Van Gogh, and this was the first time I'd ever seen a Van Gogh uh, picture up close, and, and I believe it was a picture of uh, a shoe. And so uh, you're supposed to not stand very close to the painting, and they have the the docent there, and you know he watches everything. And uh, anyway, I I didn't know I'm from Eufaula, so <laughs> I got up close to it, you know. I got up close to it, and um, he tapped me on the arm and he motioned me back. You know, and kind of made me feel bad. But uh, uh, but you want a closer look at things, and this is what we do when we look at the Word of God. We get a closer look. We see uh, all the all the things that go into this to this work. And sometimes we just look, you know, at the the top the top part of what we read, and we don't look underneath it. We don't try to see all, all, all of the paint strokes and all of that. But uh, that's what, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You may see things differently than uh, perhaps I might uh, see things. But we see here where Christ says, I am. And who are these true worshipers? Are they the Catholics? Are they the Protestants? Are they the Muslims? The, the Buddhists? Who are these true worshipers? Naturally, we must assume that, you know, we are true worshipers. So, we do see that there, uh, those uh, are the people that God is looking for. True worshipers. Those who seek him to, uh, in spirit and truth. And, so you see that there are some deep spiritual things. I won't belabor that, that point there. But let's go over to John chapter 1. And, uh, Read a few scriptures here. We know that John began by saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So we see that in Christ In God there was life. Every how you want to define life, every how you want to paint life, uh, you know, as maybe good or bad or however you want to paint it, but in Christ was life, and that was the abundant life that he came to give to us by understanding his words through the apostles, through the disciples that he taught. And we can go back to Genesis 1 and, and see all that was made by the hand of God from you know, plants and all their variety, from creatures and all their variety, the earth and its elements and all the unseen forces of nature. And then we see Adam in whom the breath of life was given. So through through his word, the word, all things were made. And he was God from the very beginning, the Son of God. And even from that beginning to this present time and forever, Christ is and he sits at the right hand of the father, father writing, you know, the book of life. He is. He is the I am. Ever present. Ever living. And sometimes it leaves us in much wonder as we, you know, try to wrap our minds about how, how all of this creation came about and all the things that went through it. Uh, there was a, a movie I, some time ago. I think I saw it as uh, a kid, but they were portraying how Adam was made from the dust of the ground, and the Spirit of God uh, was represented by uh, the forces of the wind just blowing over this mound of earth and gradually forming uh, the body of Adam. And, uh, you know, uh, we're we're dust, and that uh, kind of has stuck with me a little bit, but I just wonder about, you know, did God take... uh, Piece of clay, and there's a song. He took a hundred pounds of clay. Probably heard it a long time ago, but anyway, I'm mentioning songs that you probably don't even know about. But did he fashion? You know, when you when you work with clay, you pinch it, you pull it, you press it, and you, you do that throughout, and you create an armature because when you uh, clay without an armature is going to sag and fall over. So uh, we have the skeletal structure underneath. You know. Which came first? You know, you know, beneath the skeleton are the organs, a- and then all of this is built upon each other. So we have the skeletal armor, and uh, sometimes you know those the armor armature begins to weaken. We have pain in our joints and elbows and neck and all of that. But at one time this is how Adam was created, and you know this is how we are today, just being passed on to us, and it leaves us in much wonder. It does to me anyway. So there are things we, we don't know because we're here from below. That rhymes, doesn't it? Things we don't know but because we're here from below. John 8, chap- uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. Here's where we see what true worship is. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We have the light of life. Sometimes we think, well, it's pretty dim, or it might be too bright. But then again, you know, we have the light of life. A light that shines upon things that we see in the world. Things that, you know, enter into our mind. We shine a light on it. We shine a light on looking for the truth. The Pharisees therefore said unto him... You bear record of yourself. Your record is not true. So you know Christ is talking of himself. And so you know you're talking about yourself. Your record not true. And Jesus answered and said unto them. Though I bear record of myself. Yet my record is true. Jesus. Uh, oh, Though I bear record of myself. Yet my record is true. For I know whence I came. And where I go. There was a past, there was uh, uh, the present, and there is a future there. But you cannot tell uh, where I came and where I go. You judge after the flesh. I judge no man. Yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself. And the father that sent me bears witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him for his time or his hour had not yet come. And then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. And then said the Jews, you know, confused by that saying, and said, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You know, sometimes we can look at this, this verse and in a way we, we may see where, you know, people get the idea that, you know, heaven is above. It's a point, you know, above. Because, you know, Christ said he's from above. And so we think heaven is above. But we also see that man is of the earth. That he's subject to, to corruption. He's subject to death. In verse 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, yet ye shall die in your sins. So if you remember, you know that the uh, road to everlasting life begins with Christ, as we as we read in John three sixteen. Then said they unto Him, Who are you? Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So he's speaking of the Father in heaven, and the things he heard, that is uh, the truth to the world. But, uh, verse 27, they understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. So we see that Christ was a listener, that he was a learner in which the Father taught him, you know, in his mission. Uh, the things that he was going to go through, the, the things that... Uh, uh, the Father must have told Christ that here are the things that you, that's going to be done, that things that you must fulfill. Here's what you do, here's what will happen. Uh, there's risk involved. But remember our love for man because when you uh, get close to the Passover and you read about these things that go toward the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you begin to realize the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ in that sacrifice. Verse 29, and he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So we see that a key to tree worship is doing always those things that please the Father. And as he spake these words, many believed in him. And then said Jesus to those Jews which believed in him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free so as disciples you know disciples are learners and once they come across the subject matter and begin to believe in it and begin to study it more and more they become more and more aware of the truth and we don't know everything there is to know right now but you know God has seen that we know enough but he wants us to grow in grace and in knowledge so how do we continue in this truth that shall Shall make you uh, free. Uh, John 6, I believe it is. I may have that book wrong, but let's begin in 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Okay, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Uh, we all get hungry you know and sometimes waiting in line you know the hungry you get you know. and uh, so you know what hunger is like but they didn't have you know a place to get bread and this he said to prove him for he himself knew what he would do Philip answered him 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little just not enough to uh, buy a whole lot of bread. You know, Christ was uh, going to point out a miracle. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, Now there's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. And now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Sometimes we get a picture of these fishes you know maybe being small and tiny. I don't know how big they might have been. But uh, there were only five fishes. And he produced the miracle. And when they were all filled. He said unto his disciples. Gather up the fragments that remain. That nothing be lost. So there was you know leftovers. Therefore they gathered them together. And filled twelve baskets with the fragments. Of the five barley loaves. Which remained over. And above unto them that had eaten. Then those men. When they had seen the miracle uh, that Jesus did said this is of a truth that uh, prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king he departed again into a mountain himself alone. See they wanted to carry him off. You know you've seen where football players after they win a victory they'll take the coach lift him up on their shoulders and just carry him off and you can't help but be carried uh, away with that with the crowd or they pour ice water on him because uh, you know they're very impressed by uh, the victory and so on and here was a miracle that they were impressed with and they wanted to make him king and and Christ saw it but it wasn't his time and so he went off uh, into the uh, mountain himself alone and when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and he entered, and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing close uh, unto the ship and, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land where where they were going. So you see Christ perform the miracle of the loaves. You also see him performing the miracle of walking on water. I know I would sink, you know, even... It would be a great miracle just to walk on water. I I think some people have even thought, if only I could take a couple of steps on water. Mm -hmm. That would be testing God. Now, what we have here is, you know, a, a trial by faith. You know, we have to believe, and we know it. We know that he did walk on water and perform these miracles because John attested to that, and so did the other Gospels that give us the truth of these miracles. lost my place here. Oh, I'll start with verse 20. But he said unto them, it is I, don't be afraid. They willingly received him into the ship. So I, I gathered that they thought at first that he was a spirit. And they weren't going to let him onto the ship. But uh, he said to them, don't be afraid. It's, it's I. And so they willingly let him climb aboard in wonder. You know. As he So. <coughs> The day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw... That's kind of funny. Seesaw. The day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea... Forgive me, i tell you. (laughs) But we know that... (laughs) that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, why camest you here? Why did you come come over here? And, And they answered, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. It was, you know, the filling of what that miracle did. That's what they were wanting, you know. If you can do that with five barley and five fish, you know, uh, what more could Jesus do with uh, what was there? But Christ told them, don't labor for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the work of God? So Jesus answered and he said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe. That you believe on him whom he has sent. So the work of God is to believe in Christ. And we know that at first it's an individual thing that we do. To believe on him and to heed what the word says and to do his will. They said therefore unto him, well what sign show you then that we may see and believe? What do you work? You know, some people just have to have some sort of a sign or some sort of a thing that they, that's tangible that they can lay their hands on before they believe and follow. And we sometimes want a visible miracle. Uh, verse 32, then Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So, as we read the book of John, we know that we're getting the true bread, the true nourishment from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. During the time of fasting, we know how we miss eating, drinking water, eating food. And it's just something that we do every day. And in the same way, we should also be partaking of that spiritual nourishment that is provided for us. In not only the book of John, but throughout the Gospels and throughout the, the Holy Bible. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto him, I am the bread of life. But he uh, that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. So as true worshipers, you know, how do we take, partake of that bread? Well, we do that by reading, by hearing, by meditating, uh, studying his word through prayer, and uh, being doers of that word. That's how we partake of that bread. But at that time, there were some who misunderstood that, you know, he was talking about uh, spiritual things, spiritual food that one puts into their heart and into their mind. John chapter 4, verse 31 In the mean, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye don't know of. And therefore the disciples said, One to another, uh, has any man brought him something to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. So we see how Christ dedicated himself to the spiritual principles to the commission that the Father had given him. So he's our example of doing the will of the Father and to finish the work. We all require physical food, but at the same time the food that gives us eternal life, you know, is doing the will of God as true worshipers. John chapter six. Again. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me I will nowise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent, uh, sent me that of all which he gives me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me that every one which sees the Son and believes on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up uh, at the last day. Uh, you know, somehow the Father selects prospective believers. Where you know wherever they might be as I mentioned earlier on the highways on the byways and houses and in places other than where we are here. uh, The father is searching for those that will uh, worship him in spirit and truth. And that's what he uh, uh, did for us. uh, And led us to Jesus Christ. But we also read where it says that many are called but few are chosen. So over time as they are led to Christ uh, their faith in him can either grow or it can diminish as they go along depending on circumstances but once they commit uh, to Christ to do his will uh, he will nourish them through his word but we have to want his word we have to hunger and thirst and whenever uh, we run into situations or circumstances where we might be thirsting or hungering we have the bread of life if we'll only go to that source It is written in the prophets in verse 45, and skipping down to there, and they shall be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. So uh, the Father is leading them to Christ. (coughs) I'm going to skip the rest of those uh, remaining verses I had from verse 46 to 69. But I will go to John 11 instead. John 11 uh, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. You know it's just something calming about a a lake or a sea. Where you have just, just a very level horizon to look on. Because in a lot of homes sometimes you will see landscapes that are you know. Sofa size, and it's just a picture of a landscape, a mountainous scene. It's just serene. Hor- uh, you know, it being horizontal, it kind of reminds us of you know a place to lay down. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary. Oh, yeah, that's. Uh, hmm. Oh, this is a part. <laughs> yeah, this is a part where Christ is uh, was speaking about the parable of the sower, where some fell among stony ground. I probably got the chapter wrong there, but he was speaking to them in parables, the word of God, and in verse three of that chapter, wherever it is. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. You know, I I really appreciate Ken because he keeps up. (laughs) I noticed that at the feast, yeah. And uh, I was just thinking of that, you know. If if I read something wrong, I think Ken's going to probably... He's not going to say, hey you're off the wrong scripture like he did there he goes (laughs) that's what I turned around thank you very much I appreciate that and when he had sowed some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth you know the disciples had asked Christ well why do you speak to them in parables and It's like a spiritual search in the hearts of men that if they're listening, if they're hearing, that if they have understanding of what the spiritual meaning is beneath it, uh, then they will want to hear more. They will want to come to Christ. But we see that some of the seed can fall upon stony places. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. Did I miss something? Matthew 13, if you want to go to Matthew 13. <coughs> I notice that uh, more and more people are using the computer to put those things in. I'm still about 10 years behind on a whole lot of this stuff. It's the piece of paper here. Probably, <laughs> anyway, let me go on. I want to try to wrap this up here in just a few minutes. And the thorns sprung up and it choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. The good ground. We can look at ourselves. I guess it's okay to look at yourself as a good ground because, you know, we, we're, we're enduring, doing the best we can, producing fruit in various ways. It may not seem like a lot, but we're there as children growing in, and in grace. Some 60-fold, some 30-fold. And Christ says, who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Christ was doing the will of God and seeking those whom the Father would be sending to him through all of his teachings, through the parables that he spoke. And the disciples came and they asked him, well, why do you speak unto them in parables? And he answered unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not uh, given. And verse 14 on down. And in them, uh, so these parables, you know, are ways in which to see if there be any depth of, uh, of conviction toward the spiritual things of life, but in verse fourteen, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, "By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand; and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive." And the reason being, for this people's heart is wax grow, grows it's heavy, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So there are many things that are hard to let go in life when someone hears the word of God being preached or, or maybe they read about it that uh, some people just have a little time for spiritual matters and they may block out things that they don't want to uh, hear or understand because it might interfere with their way of life. So They just don't really want to understand, because if they did, they would have to admit the truth and be converted and, and, and be healed. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What a blessing, directly from the Father, that he has given the spirit of understanding. Verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard. So hear you therefore the parable uh, of the sower. Skip the next few verses there. And uh, the will and the work of God is that we grow and be fruitful. Christ, you know, did the will of the Father. Just as we should follow his example in, in doing his will. Now in the time ahead from now until Passover season the will of God is ever upon us because you know Christ is the I am always with us so therefore his will uh, should be a a part of our life and John has painted a a loving picture of Jesus Christ as our savior and also the calling of almighty God as our father and you know from now until then if, if nothing else let us pray for one another let us uh, mention, you know, their names in our prayers or see their faces in our prayers because, you know, how long it would take to mention everybody that you knew by name, and sometimes you think, well, I can't think of that person's name, but you can see their face. That, uh, that will uh, do in a prayer. So, whatever their needs might be. The, this life is temporary, we know that, but we know that the life to come is everlasting. John, First John chapter 2, and this will be the last uh, chapter, if it's not the wrong one. First John 2, let's see, verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. Which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. He that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness darkness and knows not where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. I write unto you little children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. In you know, Christ's authority, by his honor, all of our sins have been taken away from us. Let's drop to verse 15. <clears throat> love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So that's you know, the things that can entangle you. Those thorns and briars that can uh, choke off the word. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. A lot of things in the world that, you know, that pleases, that we like. We just have to know, you know, where where not to place so much affection in them that it chokes uh, off the word of God. So we have to keep our focus and our aim toward Christ. And we must look forward to the time of refreshing as we find, you know, in keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, uh, knowing that the Feast of Tabernacles is coming and that it's going to be a time of refreshing. So, so do all these holy days and so does the weekly Sabbath. You know, as the Messiah, he said, uh, his will is to do the work of God and, and that will we carry on. He's our bread of life. Uh, verse 18 Little children, it is the last time, and you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now. And are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last day? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. uh, Not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things." You know, as we look at world history or the things that are happening in the Middle East, you know that uh, you know the Middle East is just going to be the focal point of a coming world war and it's just in turmoil right now, and it's the focus point of, uh, of end time events. And I was reading in uh, Isaiah 17:1. You probably read this too at some point. That behold, Damascus is taken. Away from being a city. And it shall be a ruinous heat. Now, we know Damascus is in Syria. It's also called uh, the pearl of the east. And Damascus uh, means sack full of blood. It's the oldest city in the world. It has the longest continuous history. And it stems from the time of Uz. That uh, was Noah's grandson. And it has always been the head of Syria. And from there the Apostle Paul was let down in a basket from one of the buildings there and there's a street called Strait uh, as shown in the Bible and it runs west into the city, it's a mile long, 100 feet wide at the time, the house of Ananias was there and also there's the great mosque uh, the most venerated and oldest building in Damascus and it was the city of Aram so (coughs) what will bring that prophecy about we know that Damascus has not become a ruin yet but if it did become a ruin that would mean the whole city of Damascus was somehow taken into ruin by whatever means there might be and if that should ever happen no doubt they're going to need some peace accord in order to prevent uh, any future uh, bombings or uh, whatever ruin there might come about I don't know I'm just speculating, but Isaiah 17, 1, it says Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap in this time, perhaps, maybe in the time to come, but these, these uh, uh, places that are mentioned in the Bible, you know, Jerusalem shall be surrounded by armies, and so on, uh, we live in that time where, you know, John is saying, little children, it is the last time. And you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Promising peace, uh, doing miracles, and deceiving many. But, let me finish here. In verse uh, 23. Whosoever denies the son, the same has not the father. But he that acknowledges the son has the father also. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. You also shall continue in the Son and in the, and in the Father. And this is a promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. So if we do the will of God, stick to the truth, read the Bible and the portrayal of Christ that John has given to us, we will be uh, abiding in the will of Christ and the will of God.